Hey, everybody. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Just a quick programming reminder once more. Remember, as of next week, we're changing frequencies on that FM dial, and we are moving to 93.3 Tallahassee Real Talk. The podcast will continue. Hope you will move over with us. That starts next week on 93.3. And now, enjoy Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. Keith. Since last we chatted, all the speculation has been rampant. Everybody is having fun. They're just making up stuff on the Internet. Not that that's new. And we still have no news to report on Florida State other than the grant of rights exist till 2036. Has that summed up the week nicely? I think that's it. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week. No, uh, it's uh, it was amazing when that when that little blurb came out from whoever the dude was that said that Clemson and FSU had reached out to the SEC. Uh, You know, I was 99.9% sure it was false, but in today's world, you kind of have to pay attention to things like that. And it wasn't too long later that uh, that was debunked, but it does make you stop and think. You, you, You have pause when you hear things like that. So Clemson's president refuted it uh, on Monday On Tuesday, President John Thrasher said, quote, I want to be clear that persistent reports that Florida State has been in contact with the Southeastern Conference are untrue. We have had no communication with the SEC or any representatives of the SEC, end quote. So, you know, this is what it made me think of, though, Keith. And I do think unless somebody can tell me and we're going to talk with somebody who is plugged is is, as plugged into the ACC as about anybody two weeks in a row, really, because David Hale's really good. He joined us last week. This time, it's David Teal, veteran ACC reporter, who's always had a good open line of communication with the ACC commissioner. He'll join us. But, but this is what it reminds me of, Keith. Remember those days back in middle school or high school when you wanted to ask out that girl, but you were afraid that she might say no? So you didn't directly ask her, but you got to be friends with her friends and, and you'd kind of say, well, what do you think? Do I have a chance? And then, you know, if they went to your church, you might befriend her parents, anything you could do to give yourself a better shot. So while president Thrasher, I'm sure has not had an official conversation with Greg Sankey and the sec about, would you take us? You can believe that since FSU has been in the ACC, those conversations have come up from time to time, just kind of feeling around. Hey, what do you think about Tallahassee? It's out there. One of the things that tickled me is when John came out with his uh, statement that they'd had no conversation with the SEC, then immediately uh, I got a couple calls. Well, that means they have talked to the Big Ten, Big 12, or the Pac-12. That's what that means. I'm going, I don't don't think that's what that means, but we'll see. I don't think we want to be talking to the Big 12 necessarily. Uh, Well, not necessarily, period, because there's there's nothing in the Big 12. There's nothing left in the Big 12 that's going to move the dollar needle where the ACC needs it moved. Now, you could argue that the Pac-12, there's some name brands there that might move it, but it's simply not practical to think that you're going to be in a conference with with 12 schools on the other side of the country and routinely fly back and forth or whatever that looks like. You'd eat up any incremental revenue on your travel budget for all your sports. 
you'd be fine. The argument is valid that you would be fine for, for football, men's basketball, maybe women's basketball. Eh, it'd be a stretch for baseball. But then when you start putting all those other teams in there, you're exactly right. Any incremental dollars is going to be eat up, eaten up in travel costs, aside from the fact that I'm sorry, you know, it just doesn't make sense. That's that's just not something that anybody should be thinking about doing, in my humble opinion. Well, and even on the basketball front, Keith, you know, because you did it for two decades, a Tuesday night game on the East Coast, you're getting back at 2, 3 in the morning. If you're playing on the West Coast, I mean, what's the point? Maybe you're flying a red eye, and there's no chance that anybody's going to class the next day. So Right, exactly. I, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll talk with David, too. I mean, the – I don't know what the – I haven't found any school that is worth adding to the ACC that's a current free agent other than Notre Dame, if they would join. Now, if you could get somebody that's willing to be poached, well, then there's some schools that could move the needle. But then we start getting into fantasy land and fiction and all that. Here, Here's a topic I wanted to bring up, Keith, that uh, – now, full disclosure here. One, I plan to bring this up anyway. Two, I heard Corey Clark mention it on his show with Aslan. So, Corey, I'm not ripping you off. I was planning to go this way anyway. What happens, Keith, when we get to the day? So the SEC, when they get Texas and Oklahoma, they're going to at least nine conference games. And they're having the argument right now that if you play nine conference games, it's not equitable because that means some schools get five home games each year and others get four. So why not go to 10? I don't know where that'll land, but that's the conversation the SEC is trying to sort out. If the SEC goes to 10 conference games, there's a school in Gainesville that is going to say, you know what, we don't need to play the school in Tallahassee on an annual basis anymore. And what will happen when we get to that point? That series will go away. And as as difficult as that may be to even verbalize, it's the world we live in, Tommy, because the money will be such that the Florida Gators won't have any other choice. You can't continue to play, you know, level one or whatever you want to call them opponents and, and expect to play for a conference championship or make your way even to an expanded playoff. It just doesn't work that way. I think that's – I'm not going to say that's definitely going to happen, but it's not even out of the realm of possibility. It's pretty smack dab in the realm of possibility if the SEC gets to 10 conference games. I would so agree. I know, F, I know FSU fans don't want to hear that, but it could be very much – akin to what happened with Texas A&M in Texas. And if we play it out further, Keith, maybe that means in, say, 2032, when we've only got four years left on the grant of rights, we can join the SEC and we can renew the rivalry with Florida. What do you think? In that case, all of my hair will be gone and you'll be cutting your hair as close as I cut mine now. That's what it'll mean. Imagine what we'll look like on the technology curve by 2032, Keith. I know what it looks like right now. No, we're going with caricatures. We're going with caricatures. That's what we're going with. But to refute or to um, refute is too strong a word, but to um, counter your argument and Corey's argument about nine versus 10 games, you can play nine games because everybody of significance has an out-of-conference rival. So you've just got to schedule them correctly so that you get five and five versus the five and four of what you would consider primetime stuff but that will take a little work and that won't be easy, but it can be done. Oh yeah, it it can be done. I think let's move it back to the ACC. And this is a question for our next guest, Keith. It seems like the idea that David Hale floated last week on our show 
is gaining a little more steam, and that is keeping the conference together, but really creating the haves and the have-nots and maybe even a rung lower of the really you don't have anything and saying, okay, you're in the have-not category. We're going to give you 70 cents on every dollar, and you're in the you never had anything. We're going to give you 50 cents on the dollar, and I'm talking about unequal revenue sharing in, and, in the and name that, of getting FSU and Clemson more dollars. And that ha- that is such a slippery slope, uh, camel's nose underneath the tent or whatever um, you want to say. Uh, but yes, that, that is a conversation that has to be had, um, even if you reject it. At least you need to have the conversation. It's, you know, I think two things that we're going to see definitely is, you know, the movement to nine games or maybe 10 games at the conference level. And number two, I think uh, the division issue is going to go away. Uh, now, I've heard conversations in the SEC that they're going to go to four pods of four. I, I don't know if that's going to be something that is workable or not, but you've got to make sure as a conference you find a way to get your two best teams playing in the championship game so that if one of those teams loses, they still have a shot at the playoff. And unlike in times past, you've got a non-participating team getting a bye before they get in there. But again, that's something that will work itself out on down the road. Hey, I don't know Bob's Bowlesby from the Big 12 or Greg Sankey at all. But seeing as how they sat on this small playoff committee, a group of four, which is basically the amount of people that we have on this show every week, Keith, and they kibitz and they chat and they've done this for a year. And then lo and behold, after they, they trot this concept out, Greg Sankey just totally pulls the carpet out from underneath Bob Bowlesby. How do you think the continued conversations are going to go? Is it, is it true animosity or is Bob just going to walk into the conference room and, and kind of fist bump Greg and say, I got to hand it to you. You got me. It's just business. Or smack him upside the head with a two by four. I don't know what it'll be. How about, and, and, and again, David can talk about this, but how about the fact that the night before the announcement, Sankey's in Charlotte at the private party for the going away of one Commissioner Swafford. And then the next day, the announcement comes out that OU and, and, and uh, TU are, are joining the, the SEC, or UT rather, excuse me. Sankey was probably there. He's thinking, I owe a lot to Swafford because he's made me and my league look even better. So, 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 so Commissioner, good luck in retirement. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, anyways, oh, my goodness. That's where we are, folks. Uh, we'll also have Bob Ferrante join us later on, our Osceola Insider. We will talk Florida State. FSU opens camp this week. There's a luncheon for Mike Norvell and his coaching staff and the media on Friday, and then they get underway on Saturday. And – Keith, I don't know what happened, but it actually feels like this offseason wasn't that painstakingly, painfully slow. Like, we're here, it's August, we're going to play football. And for a change, um, you didn't have announcements about kids doing dumb things. You had uh, numbers released that showed kids gaining weight that needed to gain weight and losing weight that needed to lose weight. You had improved bench presses and, and, and clings, and uh, I didn't see any numbers for times relative to the 40, but that'll come uh, at some point, I guess. Uh, so it was back to the boring routine of nothing negative, 
but yet there was so much going on with the camps and, and the, the June slash July open periods and official visits and non-official visits. You're right. It was, it was things normal, but still some things unnormal or unusual or different. So we'll get to, to camp later this week. Now, this is the month that's always long to me because you get excited about football in two weeks from and there's now. There's nothing happening. There's nothing happening. There's nothing happening. But everything's happening. But everything's happening. Everything's happening. All counting uh, forward or counting down to the to the matchup with Notre Dame. Uh, but it's exciting that we're finally there. So conference realignment talk coming up again. Football talk coming up. I do want to give a shout out to Leonard Hamilton, Keith, because we've reached the point where it's not even a big deal when FSU gets three draft picks in the NBA draft. I know that was last Thursday. And in today's world of, you know, the 24 hour news cycle, that's old news, but congrats there tied for the most draft picks in this year's draft. If you add in last year tied for the most over the last two years, it's just crazy what they continue to do. It really is. And hats off to uh, the kids. Uh, I was reading somewhere Terrence Mann's potentially up for a, a increase in his contract. Uh, blah, blah, blah. The, the, the basketball guys continue to excel. And by the way, you and I have talked about the fact that we have a little egg uh, to wipe off our face and a little crow to eat because we, we talked about Freeman graduating, but we left out Dalvin Cook, so that's on me. And with your baseball background, you, you left off Tyler Holt, so that's on you. So we'll just extend apologies to everybody and congratulations all the way around. There you go. Yeah, we talked about Devonta last week. Kudos to them. Uh, I know this because when I went and got my my master's, Keith, I was already 10 or 12 years removed from my undergrad degree. And every day you, you spend further removed from college, it is harder to go back. So kudos to them for getting it. And for anybody who goes back later in life, whether it's to finish your first degree, get a second or third degree, whatever it is, uh, kudos. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back get back into conference realignment. Maybe we'll find somebody who has an answer to what's next for the ACC and FSU. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. And time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to veteran ACC scribe. I feel like we need a better title for you than that, David. But uh, you have covered the ACC as long as anybody, and you do a great job uh, in so doing from the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. Hope you're doing the same. Looking forward to the season. We are as well. I'll I'll let you share with our listeners what you just shared before we started recording. (laughs) And that is, and I can relate to this from when I used to be full-time in television sports media, You've got a plan in place. You're in the middle of doing interviews. You're at ACC Media Day. And then you happen to check your email. And lo and behold, there's that headline that says that Texas and OU are bolting the Big 12 for the SEC. And your heart just drops into your stomach. And you suddenly think of all these storylines you need to chase down as soon as you possibly can. Pretty much. And and you forward the email to innumerable colleagues and sources and just say, holy 
S-H, and then just a couple, couple of asterisks. And you just move on from there. And at, at the risk of, you know, of having the traffic police after me, I mean, m- much of my drive home from Charlotte was on the phone or voice texting with people, you know, trying to wrap your arms around all this. And David, I would think the other part of it is everybody you're reaching out to is in the same position you are. There's really probably very, very few people that expected this or knew anything about it. Guys, I don't think anyone outside of Greg Sankey and the the presidents at Texas and OU in their very tight circles knew about this until very late. And, you know, and here's here's how good a poker face Greg Sankey must have, because ACC Media Days were last Wednesday and Thursday in Charlotte. And on Tuesday night, the ACC hosted a retirement party for John Swafford on the second floor of the downtown Weston. More than 200 invited guests from all over the country. And who was there shaking hands and slapping backs but one Greg Sank? We talked about it in the open. I'm sure he whispered to John what was happening, but just told him to be quiet, right? Oh, (laughs) exactly. And and then I'm sure he whispered the same thing to Jim Phillips. uh, Oh, my goodness. who, who Who I can assure you was was blindsided by all this and you know it's and, and that's another thing guys as if college athletics doesn't have enough on its plate right now between NIL transfer portal playoff expansion NCAA governance and oh by the way Now COVID is rearing its ugly head again. Who knows what it's going to be like come the the, the football season. And it's, you're trying to drink out of a fire hydrant. Yeah, it is. It is crazy times. You wrote a, a very good article as as you always do this past weekend that I'd encourage our listeners to to go find. But uh, in essence, it was an FAQ. You kind of summarized the key issues and gave a paragraph or two about, okay, so what's the money issue? What are the options? What's next? That sort of thing. Let's, I'm going to try to start on the positive side here, David. And, and the headline of the story was something to the effect of, you know, the ACC seems positive and united on this. Uh, so maybe I'll start there. Your, your sense is, and, and there is a grant of rights that in essence is going to keep people in place, but it, but it seems like it's not necessarily the sky is falling from the folks you've talked to. No, I, I, I don't believe it is. Is there a concern? Absolutely. But there was concern before this on the revenue front. This just put an exclamation point on it because the, the SEC is already way ahead of the ACC Oh, and the Big 12 and, and the Pac-12 in terms of revenue. And the additions of Texas and Oklahoma will only widen that gap, which just you know puts 
you know, really ratchets up the pressure on Jim Phillips and his team to figure out a way to generate more revenue. So David, one of the first things that has to happen is getting Comcast on board. What, what are you hearing about that? And what are you hearing about the ACC network as they continue to mature, for lack of a better word? Well, guys, the, the, the Comcast conundrum is, is not a surprise. The ACC, ESPN, Disney, they all knew this was coming back when they announced the formation of the network in 2016 and then launched it in 2019. Comcast is notorious for not wanting to renegotiate carriage deals already in place. The Big Ten Network went through a long protracted negotiation with with Comcast before the Big Ten Network finally landed on on that cable provider. And they knew that the contract, current contract between Disney and Comcast does not expire, is my understanding, until mid to late September. So about, I'd say, six weeks from now. By the beginning of football season, no. But by early in the football season, yes. And I don't think it's any accident that Jim Phillips stood on that podium during his state of the conference two Wednesdays ago in Charlotte and said the October 2nd BC Clemson game and the October 9th Virginia Tech Notre Dame game are going to be on ACC network because he expects by late September that the ACC network is going to be on Comcast. And if not, that's going to add pressure to hurry up and get a carriage deal. So here's the, multi-million dollar question on on this front, David. Do we have any idea, and I think it's about 20 million homes maybe with Comcast. Mm -hmm. Do we know what, how much incremental revenue that will bring? Is it, is it a dollar a sub monthly? Is it half that? I mean, do we have any idea how much that'll move the needle in terms of the ACC's pockets? Well, if you, if you listen to a podcast that Dan Levitard recently had with his former boss at ESPN, John Skipper. Uh, They they recorded a couple of podcasts together last week. And Skipper talked about a dollar a sub. That's that's him. He knows a whole lot more about the industry than than I do. If if that is indeed the case, then you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, in the neighborhood of 20 million monthly, correct? Or that's yes. Yes. So, I mean, you do the math on that times 12 and then divided by four, what is it? 15 and a half. Cause the league gets a share and whatever Notre Dame's. So it, the, I guess the bottom line is it, it will move for, for a year. The ACC will get closer to the sec and then the sec's new money will kick in and they'll, they'll continue to lap the field. That's kind of where we're heading. Right. <laughs> well, and, and, and not only that, guys, the Big Ten's new deal is going to hit in 2023 because let's not forget the Big Ten is already ahead of the SEC. I mean, if you, if you look at average distribution to full-time members right now, the Big Ten is at 54.3 million. The SEC is at 45.5. The ACC is last among the Power Fives at 32.4. And David, I thought you did a wonderful job, and this is something that we've all talked about, but I just hadn't seen it in numerical fashion. 
when you talked about the fact that the member schools in these individual conferences, the enrollment is so much different and you multiply that over 60 or 80 years and therefore the fandom is so much different that it's really a wonder that maybe the disparity ought to be worse. Uh, You know, there's just so many additional Big Ten uh, SEC fans out there from the 1940s on versus the smaller schools that we have in the ACC and their enrollment. Uh, it's no wonder the numbers are where they are. Yes, it's, it's institutional demographics. The ACC is very unique among the Power Fives, guys, as, as you well know. The, the only private school in the SEC is Vanderbilt. The only private school in the Big Ten is Jim Phillips former place of employment, Northwestern. Meanwhile, in the ACC, you have Syracuse, you have Boston College, Pitt is a hybrid public-private, you have Miami, you have Duke, you have Wake Forest. So it's, it's very, very different in the Atlantic Coast Conference in terms of the public-private institutional diversity. Let's drill a little bit deeper about the Granite rights, uh, David, because uh, you know how fandom gets, message boards, Twitter, the water cooler conversation, everybody. And, and to the point, and there was a report this week, as you know, that Clemson and Florida State had talked to the SEC and Clemson's president had to refute it. On Tuesday, FSU's president refuted that uh, because it seems like they're locked until 2036 with this grant of rights. Is that actually part of the TV contract? Is it a separate signed document? Is it a gentleman's agreement? Do we have any idea? I mean, I, I, obviously it's firm, but what does it look like? It is a it is a separate document, is my understanding, which they extended when when they extended the ESPN deal in 2016 until 2035 36. They they agreed to do that in 2016 in exchange for ESPN creating the ACC network. The schools then agreed to extend the grant of rights through the length of the contract with ESPN to, to, to make them coincide. And you are absolutely correct. 2035, 36 guys, you know, lawyers can parse a document. They can go to court. They can negotiate all they want. But my understanding is for any school to even think about leaving the ACC right now, you would be looking at hundreds of millions of dollars approaching half a billion. You tell that's me. Not, and that's per school or in each yes, individual school. That um, is correct. You tell me who's got that kind of money in the couch cushions. The, the school that won't join the conference, that's who's got that kind of money, David. How do we get Notre Dame in? <laughs> guys, that, 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 that is a question that John Swafford before him and Jim Phillips now wrestles with, my guess is, every single day. And I, I think about it. You know, w- what would convince them. And t- to my way of thinking, it's one of two things, and they're related. Access to the college football playoff. You know, if this 12-team model goes through, I think it further entrenches Notre Dame and independence because then the Irish is vying or are vying 
for one of six at-large bids, whereas right now they're vying for one of four. So their odds improve. But if the playoff is not at 12, if it is paired back, say, to eight, and if there are automatic bids involved, then all of a sudden Notre Dame's window gets very, very narrow. And you have to wonder what the school's calculation then is. And then we come back to the and then we come back to realignment, which is related to the playoff. And what is the what is the SEC going to do at 16 teams? Are they going to go even bigger? What's what's their end game? But more to the point, how many conference games are the leagues now going to play? And if leagues continue to up their number of conference games, does that impact Notre Dame's ability to schedule as an independent? You know, I, I, the whole thing about Notre Dame, some have said, not myself, but others have said that the ACC missed an opportunity in the COVID year because they were too nice to them. You know, mm-hmm. they allowed them to, to be a part of it and they should have had some kind of mechanism uh, that said, if this happens, then this happens, or you agree to do that. Is, is that a fair criticism of the ACC? Well, it's a, I don't know if it's a fair criticism, but it, it would have been a bold poker play to tell Notre Dame, we're not bringing you in during the COVID year. You'll be off on your own. You can go play nine Mac games or who, whoever you, you endeavor to, to play, but you're not going to be playing an ACC schedule unless you join all in in the future. You know, does that poison the well? And does that cause Notre Dame to somehow maybe even say breach of contract, try to get out of the grant of rights and take its ball and go home? It it had been a it might have been a very satisfying move to make, but it would have been pretty darn risky, I believe. And I concur and agree with you. Well, we live in a world of hindsight, so it's easy to, to, to throw that out there now, that coulda, woulda, shoulda. Let me ask you this, David, and we'll, we'll wrap up here shortly. We had David Hale on last week. and uh, Smart guy, really, really smart guy. Very plugged in, just like you are. And, you know, he threw out something, and, and his basic premise, and I think yours is too, is that outside of Notre Dame, if you're talking about college football free agents, i.e. you're not in the, you know, not not people that are affiliated with Power Five conferences, there's not really anybody that can move the needle enough that makes sense once you get beyond Notre Dame. Uh, and, and you can rebut that when, when, I, when I see the floor to you. But what I was going to ask is, is David pre- suggested that perhaps the ACC would consider unequal revenue sharing based on how much football clout schools have for lack of a better term do you think that's a possible is that something they would legitimately consider i think they could you know that you know it it used to be way back in in the day in the infancy of, of television and such it wasn't all equitable but we saw what inequality did to the big 12 texas kind of ruled the roost and no one was ever really content. Texas wasn't happy. 
other members of the conference weren't happy with, with, with Texas, how would that affect things in the ACC? What kind of formula would you draw up? Would it be based on television clout like Clemson and Florida State have? Would it be based on success? Would it be a rolling average? You know, how would all that work? I'd, I wouldn't want to be in the room where all that was being negotiated and hashed out. You talk about some, some bruised feelings. And I, I keep going back to the, to the podcast that John Skipper did with Dan Levitard. And again, Skipper being the former ESPN president, you know, he threw out kind of offhanded, you know, Kansas would make sense for the ACC because of it would be a brand new state for the ACC network to plant its flag in. You know, yes, there are fewer cable homes these days, but again, that's a that's a dollar sub every month in a brand new state. To which, you know, that set off bells in my head. Where if your if your aim is to plant that network in a new state, why wouldn't you do it in the seventh most populated state in the country? That's right next door to conference member Louisville, and that would be Ohio in the form of Cincinnati. Now, I know the Bearcats are not Ohio State, but if, if, if somehow, if in the television world, you know, just being in Ohio would mean all those cable subs, then you know, maybe, it's, maybe it's worth diving a little deeper with the analysts. I, I don't know. Well, I, I like that suggestion better than Kansas because to me, oh my gosh, yes, it, it feels like Kansas goes against what Jim Phillips is now preaching, which is the ACC well, needs to put football first. Right. Yeah, guys, Kansas has won twenty three, no, twenty six football games in the last twelve seasons. And Cincinnati, I think you pointed out, has lost six in the last three. Correct, and won 31. Cincinnati has won more football games in the last three seasons than Kansas has won in the last dozen years. David, we'll let you go on this, and this is a totally different topic, but but Keith played for, for Bobby Bowden. I obviously have oh, known him for years. You yeah. are not somebody connected directly to Florida State, but you've covered no. the ACC since well before FSU joined the league. We all know what the, the devastating news is that came out a couple of weeks ago. What, how will you remember Bobby Bowden, or do you have any story or anecdote you can share as we let you go? Well, I, I just – I mean, every year at the ACC kickoff, I felt badly for the other coaches sitting at, at tables in, in a room where we in the media would be talking because we'd all be around Coach Bowden. He just had this gravitational pull about him, not just because Florida State was the dominant program. Sure, that was part of it, but he was so approachable. He was so entertaining. He was so humble. And you just couldn't help but respect and, and, and like the gentleman. And gosh, you know, you guys know, know better than I <laughs> Because he was so media friendly and accessible, there would be late night games at Dope Campbell where the Knolls are ahead by four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And he's he's given quotes 
to Rob Wilson or a member of his staff to distribute to the media before the end of the game just to help guys out on deadline. I mean, who does that? And then he'd have breakfast with the media Sunday morning at 8 a.m. to, to relay more, more information for him. Yeah, and, and he was available after practice, what, almost every day? Yeah, yep. Now, you, you know, we not heads in the press corps could not have asked for, for anyone better than, than Coach Bowden. And I so admire how he has handled this. And I wish him and his family nothing but God's grace because um, he, is, he has been, you know, he has lived a life of faith. He has lived a life of public service and he deserves nothing but, um, you know, n- nothing but a peaceful farewell right now. David, you've probably heard this because you're well-connected, but he's lived in the same house since he became head coach in 1976, and everybody in Tallahassee knows where the house is. Hmm. But you might not know this, this part. He, you can li- And this might be a, somewhat of a, an insider secret, but at this point it, it, it's too late to, to, to try this. But you could go to his house and drop off a football around the back corner of the garage, just leave a note for who it needs to be signed for, and come back three days later, and it'd be signed with a little note. How you doing, buddy? I wow. mean, it, this is as recent as a couple of years ago that I did it. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, just amazing. Just, just, just the the man is and was so generous of spirit and heart. David Teal uh, from Richmond.com and uh, just covers the ACC uh, as well as anybody. Thanks for your insight. That was a good conversation. And uh, we'll have the same conversation several more times before 2036, David, as we try to plug the revenue gap. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm still plugging along, guys. Yeah, yeah, us too. All right, we'll take a break. More Front Row Knowles after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We will keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. Good conversation with David Teal. That was ACC and realignment, which means our next guest is off the hook on that topic. However, everything related to FSU is uh, part on the table right now as Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider, joins us. Hey, Bob, how are you? Doing well. How are you guys? We're good. Football starts this week, so let, let's get right into it. So if I ask you the top storylines going into camp, you're going to say the quarterback battle, the offensive line, and the defense needs to improve. Are those? But then, as I thought deeper, I thought, you know what? We need to see improved linebacker play. The place kickers weren't very good. The receivers need to catch the ball. Who's going to be the – like, there's a storyline at every position, honestly, as we go into camp. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I think there's curiosity everywhere, right? Yeah. It's um, – you know, I, I think a lot of fans are still wondering, can this team – like, what, what's the best-case scenario for this team? And then what's the worst case scenario? And, and you're, you're sort of curious about just about everything. I mean, where, where do these transfers take this team as far as production, but also leadership? You know, is it 
does it carry this team a little bit farther than we expect? If these games are tight, does that leadership help? Um, big ones to me are, like you said, pass rush. Wide receivers, are they going to catch? Are they going to make the quarterbacks look good? Uh, we think this team's going to play a lot of nickel. I'm really curious to see um, in certain situations how Florida State plays in nickel. You've obviously got to go with three linebackers on you know, third and short, other short yard situa- situations. But this feels like a team that's got a, a lot of talent at defensive back, corner and safety between veterans and, and new kids. So there's just a ton of curiosity, I think, about this team. And we, we kind of get our first look on Saturday. Bob, is it a positive? Is it a negative? I, I, I kind of make the argument that it's both, that if you look at some of the uh, reports that have been out, you know, uh, outlets trying to, uh, categorize who's the most important player, who's the second most, who's the fifth most, you know, in terms of uh, going into the preseason. And, you know, three out of the top five or two out of the top five are transfers. It, 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 you know, is that good? Is that bad? Is it both? I don't know. I think overall it's about Mike Norvell flipping the roster but building it in his vision with with guys that he's handpicking, whether it's – you know, commitments from high school ranks, from junior college. But the the easiest way to upgrade your team on offense or defense is to hit the transfer portal, but to find the right fit guys, not just go to the portal and grab somebody. It's a guy who's truly committed. And when you listen to, I think Jermaine Johnson is one of the most impressive interviews on this team. When you listen to him talk, it's not about how many sacks he wants. It's about his journey through junior college to Georgia, to Florida State, and what he wants to do here in Tallahassee as a leader, what he wants to do with with this team. And he shares his story and wants to motivate those guys in defensive line. If, If Florida State gets that kind of leadership to just be a little bit better, play in, play out, be better in situations, third down, goal line, red zone, all those key situations... I really do think that's going to make for a better Florida State team, and it's going to help the younger kids grow. Because a lot of these transfers might be here one year. It might be great if a lot of them stay two years. But eventually, you've got to have the kids, the the developed kids who came here as freshmen, they've got to be leaders in year three, junior, senior year. So this program really takes a step forward for the long haul. Okay, so we'll go to the third question to address the quarterbacks. Kudos to us for not doing it on the first question, right? Uh, do you? I, I, for, I forget where you were in the spring. Are, are you of the? Who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback when fall camp finishes? I'm of the opinion that Florida State has to play both. They have to play Jordan Travis and Mackenzie Milton. I, I think Mackenzie's the guy. I, I think that would be my my pick based on what I saw in the spring. So then the second part, and I to me. This is this is bad radio because I'm going to answer the question with my opinion first. I don't see this as an issue, but do you see guys being in the Milton camp and some guys being in the Travis camp, or do you think there's enough of a team spirit that that won't matter regardless of how it shakes out? I'd be interested in KJ's answer, but I think historically, when when we've asked players whether in offense or defense, they know who the best quarterback is in practice, and they say, "I want to." I want that to be our guy. 
Now, is there a difference of opinion? Well, yeah, not every, let's say, 83 guys on scholarship agree on who quarterback QB1 is and who QB2 is. My feeling is that Florida State will have to come to a consensus. This is our starting quarterback. But then we'll also have to use Jordan Travis's playmaking ability, rusher, passer, receiver, in, in the mix somehow. Use it as some wrinkle just so you are ahead of the sticks in, in a good situation on, on second down, third down, so that you're moving the ball down the field and scoring points. But I, I think the players will answer that question on the field. They'll probably tell the coaching staff, hey, guys, we, we like what McKenzie or what Jordan's doing. That's, that's the guy that we think puts us in the best spot to do well on game day. The other part of that, uh, if I can jump in, guys, is how the quarterbacks comport themselves with one another. Uh, again, don't want to get too um, – I don't even know what the right word is, but, you know, the only four-year starter in my time at Florida State was Chris Ricks, and nobody liked him. So, so far, everything that these two have done, you know, you could put them in a hat and pull one out from a comportment standpoint, and the entire team would be happy with whoever's there, in my estimation. Yeah, I think McKenzie – go ahead. Go ahead, Bob. Wait, finish your thought. No, I just think McKenzie and Jordan are saying the right things. And I think, you know, you know, Jordan probably had his moments where he said, why is coach bringing in McKenzie Milton? What, you know, didn't I show enough that, that, that I should be the guy. And I think Mike Norvell has shown a desire to upgrade this roster through the portal. And he knew he had to bring in, you know, quarterback. He knew he had to bring in pass rush, all these different positions. The bottom line is I, I think there had to be upgrades everywhere across the roster and not to knock Jordan, but he was not available in too many games. He was injured. There were instances where we were all probably yelling slide, get out of bounds, protect yourself for the next play for the next game. And and Jordan not doing that. I think, I think it made Norvell go out and seek another quarterback with experience but I think these guys are saying the right things. And, and if there's a chance that they can complement each other, learn from each other, um, make their weaknesses a little bit stronger, then this is a better team because of it. Now, it's one thing to say it and, and do it in the spring and the summer, but then when it comes time in, in September, October, November, how does it really truly develop on the field? To your point, and Keith and I just talked recently, reflecting on the spring game, you know, we talked about the great throws McKenzie made, the one down the seam, the fade on the sideline. But honestly, the most memorable throw he made might have been it was a complete busted play, and he realized it, and he just threw it at the feet of the running back uh, right away, a la Peyton Manning curling up into the fetal position or Tom Brady going down for that. There was He knew the play was defeated. There was no, I'm going to outrun this guy. I'm going to back up 12 yards. And Lord knows we've seen enough of that, you know, from EJ Manuel spins to everybody else. And you like the spirit, but there is something about the experience factor there just to see that and say, hey, you know, this play is not here. It'll be second and 10 instead of second and 23. Yeah, I think McKenzie has been in the cockpit enough to understand the situation. And when he sees, hey, this, this just ain't happening, whether it's, you know, the pass protection, the receiver ran the wrong route. The defense just had it had it dialed up just just right, and it, and it wasn't. We couldn't block it up. You, you live, you you end that battle and get ready for the next battle. 
and, and McKenzie gets it. I think Jordan was just a little too young last year. At times, he was he was just kind of forcing it. He, he was trying to put his body out there, honestly, a lot of times, to, to make a play to help his team. And, and it's the right spirit, but sometimes you just have to know, okay, not – not this time. Don't we don't force it in this situation? And I remember Kenny Dillingham saying that a couple of times. That's not a down and distance where you force it. Understand when it is that time and when it isn't, and you only learn it because you've been in the cockpit enough to do it over and over again. Bob, how many wins makes this season a success? I had a feeling you guys were going to ask that question, and I've been giving this answer all summer. It's not to dodge it. I want to see Florida State be competitive in 11 games. Don't expect it against Clemson. And I want fans to have fun watching this team from the stands. If you want a win-loss number, I'd say 6-6, six and six, give or take a win-loss in either direction. But I think what, what people want to see out of this program is I want to have fun and I want to see this team be truly competitive every time I walk into the stadium or I, or I turn on the TV and watch it. How about if we're competitive in 11 games, except for the Jacksonville State game, because that's a no contest and we got that one handled. We, we can go up at least be competitive with Clemson, can't we? Can't we, you know, Norvell can, can dive into the bag of tricks. We can go for it on fourth down a lot. That doesn't have to be a five-touchdown game. And this is the beauty of playing Jordan Travis. you got to bring out a lot of tricks right. for those Clemson games, guys. you got to bring out everything you got. Oh, all right, so – Quarterback gets the attention, offensive line. You meant quarterback and pass rush is really what we've been fixated on, lack of linebackers. Uh, I guess I'll stay with the quarterback for this one. September 5th is the opener against Notre Dame. August 29th is the preceding Sunday. So what date will we know the starting quarterback for that game with Notre Dame? You know, I'm trying to remember what Norvell announced last year if he did it the Monday before the opener against Georgia tech, or if it went a couple of days later, I, I don't think, I don't think Norvell is going to announce anything until it's you know close to game day. It could be as early as that Monday. He could even keep people guessing. Um, I, I would honestly love it if he has two quarterbacks out there on play one, just to kind of continue to, to play it out and, and keep people guessing. I think- At least put both of them in the huddle. Both of them are in the huddle, even if one of them goes to slot. Don't, don't even have a running back on that play. Just line them up next to each other in the backfield. You figure out who we're snapping to. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see his smile when he does something crazy like that because you just have to imagine. He's, he's thinking, after all offseason, you guys were guessing. I'm going to give it to you the, the way uh, I'm going to give you both. Bob, as, as we wrap up, and we don't have to do a deep dive here, but uh, the calendar clearly is in August because all of a sudden my inbox is filling up with more news from FSU Athletics. But Cross Country announced its schedule, and, and the highlight there is that they're hosting the NCAA Men's and Women's Championships later this year, which is a big deal. It's only the second time FSU will ever have ever hosted an NCAA championship in any sport. The volleyball schedule is out. The soccer team is starting practice. Women's basketball has its non-conference schedule out. No, by the way, they picked up a commit from a five-star. So it's getting busy again on the sports scene. Yeah, it, it seems like yesterday, uh, you know, softball was wrapping up in Oklahoma City. And, and then all of a sudden, everything broke in July with name, image, and likeness and expansion. But it's good to see the games back again. I think we're all kind of looking forward to seeing, you know, soccer. How do you come off of a 
what was a really, I don't, I don't know. It, it's gotta be a, an emotional season for soccer to, to get through a fall season, then a went then a spring season, now a pretty short break. And then you're coming back again. It, it's going to be fun to watch all these sports. Um, I, I think I'm looking forward to all of it. Cross country. Um, I didn't realize sports it hadn't hosted a, a national tournament in, I guess since the 1990s, since tennis. So that, that's going to be really cool for, uh, for Tallahassee to have that opportunity to do that in November with cross country. Bob, we appreciate it. Glad we're talking football again. We'll catch up again next week. Take care, guys. Thanks, Bob. Our Osceola insider. More Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Keith, we say this all the time, but when we get a chance to talk football, it's good to talk some football, some on-field stuff. It really is, and it'll be interesting uh, depending on media access as to what's going on in practice and, you know, get some interview from the kids either before or after practice and uh, just get ready for the kickoff. Uh, it's, it's, it'll be nice to talk, as you said, X's and O's and not what ifs. Exactly right. You know, we didn't even mention, and maybe this was on purpose, Keith, uh, a week or two ago when the, when the preseason picks came out and Florida State had not a soul on the all-conference team. And boy, if you need a, and I don't know if there's, well, you can look at the one loss record from the last three years and that's pretty sobering. But when you see that and then you look again and then you look one more time and you still don't see an FSU name on the list, even though it's a good list and that's Florida State doesn't deserve somebody there necessarily. It, it is a little eye opening. Uh, first time in the history of Florida State's membership in the in the conference, if I read correctly, is that accurate? Well, yeah, and usually at the end of the year, we're complaining because Florida State didn't get enough guys on there. There were a lot of years they should have had about 18 of the 22 (laughs) in the 90s, and they got seven. I don't know if we're really complaining this year. They got to go out and earn it. That's true. And I'm not suggesting they should have have a chip on their shoulder because I don't think they should be thinking individual right now. They need to be thinking team, and hopefully that's, that's where they are. Well, as the team goes, the individual will follow. Winning solves a lot of problems. Winning is a great deodorant, is it not, Keith? It is. <laughs> oh, so practice starts on Saturday as as we finish things up. I think we've 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 touched on everything I wanted to touch on. Anything you want to you want to weigh in on going back to that David Teal conversation? Well, I I, I think we're done with anything that's going to happen because I think schools are going to be focused on uh, the season. But I think sometime in December or January or February, this uh, conference changing is going to raise its head again because I don't think we're we're finished. I think we're just hitting the pause because football season is getting in the way. We'll see. Interesting theory he had about Cincinnati, if you were going to add somebody. I Looking at it, and I don't know which census this was from or what, but Ohio's got 11.5 million people in it. So if, if you could get all those subs to subscribe to the ACC network, you know, that's not insignificant if you're adding an extra $11 million a month, even if you're dividing by one more mouth. doesn't solve and, all the problems. 
And by the way, based on our rudimentary uh, calculations, i.e. you with the calculator, uh, the Comcast deal is fully functional at $20 million and a dollar a head would net somewhere around $15 million on extra per ACC school. So that is not insignificant. Won't make up all the discrepancy. And certainly when the new ESPN contract that replaces CBS for the SEC, God, I hate acronyms, um, that bridge and deficit will increase again, but it's not insignificant dollars that Comcast brings to the table. No, no, it's not. It, it basically means for a year or two, it'll be a lot closer. And if we just looked at it in that short little prism, we'd say, ah, oh, there's no problem. And then the new contract kicks in and, and we've got no more Comcast to sign up. But we say, what in the world do we do? Well, you hate acronyms. I hope our listeners will tune in next week for FRN. It'll be a whole new show, Keith, uh, of FRN on our new station, which is 93.3 Real Talk. Look forward to it respond all right he's keith i'm tom thanks for tuning in to front row knowles